In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, the lovely podcast theme music. What's up, everybody? I'm Roy Wood Jr. I am a correspondent for The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, and I am welcoming you to Beyond the Scenes. This is the podcast where we journey deeper into the topics and issues originally discussed on The Daily Show with the show's writers, producers, correspondents, anybody. Hell, if you got a Daily Show t-shirt, we might want to talk to you as well. Basically, to put it another way. Beyond the scenes, it's like when you order fast food and like, you know, like when you order like fries, right? You order nuggets and it'd be like the magic fries in the bottom of the bag. First off, those are the best fries. The, the fries, any food that's free, that's unexpected. That's the best food. This podcast is the bottom of the bag fries of the Daily Show. See, you came for the Daily Show, but then you root around the bottom of the bag. It's me sitting right there with a whole ass podcast for you. It's a little extra audio content from the show that we're giving you for free. Now, make sure you share us with your partner, too. Can't be hogging this podcast for those fries. You know, you got to share us with you. You know, you got a spouse or whoever you sleep with from time to time. Go, hey, go on, listen to Roy and be on the scenes. Look, the fastest way to the couch right there is hogging the bag. You know, you can't be stealing fries from nobody. We'll talk about that later. This this podcast is not about food, I promise you. Today, we are talking about the state of black shit. So basically what the state of black shit is, this is a yearly segment where I deliver a State of the Union address documenting the highlights and some of the lowlights of black life over the last year. Think of it as an answer, a response to the president's State of the Union address. Now, I've had the honor of delivering this address in 2018, 2019, 2020, and most recently in 2021. I don't know why I didn't just say the last four years. That would have been quicker. Play the clip. Good evening, black people, African-Americans, and Chet Hanks. Wagwan, you crazy white boy. I'm coming to you from one of the blackest locations in America, the backyard where Meghan Markle spilled the tea to Oprah. Tonight, we black people are gathered here to once again ask ourselves the question, where we is? And let's be honest, 2020 was one of the most challenging years in recent history for the black community, beginning with COVID, which frankly is a racist virus, as it accomplished what the criminal justice system has been trying to do for years, lock up every black person in America. So to break it down, we're gonna be going beyond the scenes on the state of black shit with two of the Daily Show's Emmy-nominated writers. Please welcome X Mayo and Randall Otis. Randall, Hello. X, What's up, how guy? you doing? I'm good. I'm chilling. You know, just not working out. Just you know, being me. X Mayo, looking nice. Thank you. Your hair is always illustrious. Oh, thank you. I um, 
I am I am doing really well. I am working out. I have to. I'm not like Randall. Randall, he just he can eat pizza and it turns into abs, you know. And I look at pizza and my titties get bigger. I just I can't I can I, I have to work out. So I've been working out every day, especially for my mental, because you know, I have to work with white people and I don't wanna put my hands on them. So I have to it helps me um well. in my mental. I have the same problem with pizza. It also goes to my chest. Let's talk about the segment. <laughs> there was a time where Trump was being extremely dismissive of black issues. And people would ask Trump, hey, what about this for the blacks? What about that for the blacks? What about that? And it just became this thing where we were like, yo, I think we need to do something that just lets black people know everything going to be all right or Look how far we've come. Look how much further we have to go. And some of the stuff is serious. Some of the stuff is lighthearted. So on your side of the building, I guess virtually now, what was the purpose and premise of this segment supposed to be? Um, well, I was told when I got assigned to write it for 2020 in review of 2019 was just that, um, you know, this is to let niggas know what's going on. <laughs> My my boss didn't say that because they white. They didn't say that. That's uh, that I broke it down in layman's terms. <laughs> they don't say that at our job. I say that. But <laughs> so I was told like Roy does this thing like the state of black shit so that everybody is clear on uh, especially black people on like our successes, our trials, our tribulations, and just to encourage us and to remove us forward in like a comedic way. Yeah, I mean, it's similar to what X says. Our, you know, our white boss comes in and just says, uh, your job's to let these niggas know. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he's talking about Dan Amira, the head writer. He's not talking about you. <laughs> but, uh, it's kind of like you said, providing that balance between talking about the trials, but also talking about the successes. Cause you know, a lot of the times, and if we're going back to Trump, um, people just frame the black community as being only pain, only drama. Like, I think he just said, it's like, what do you have to lose? You live in hell. It's like, mm, okay, there's obviously like problems in the black community, but <laughs> there's positive things as well. So it's kind right. of given that balance and that encapsulation. To me, what makes state of black shit unique is that, it's one of the few times on the show where we talk about the future. Like so much of our show is reactive or exposing. Mm -hmm. We all saw that story. Here's our take on it. Or it's here's something that you didn't know about that we're now going to expose to you where this is completely, Hey, there's other stuff happening going on in the world that we can also talk about and i think to me that's what makes it that's what makes it uniquely different from anything else we do on the show that's quote unquote a black segment but i was just curious what you thought about that randall but i guess it's different to me in the sense of just like how encompassing it is because you know it's the daily show so we do things day to day that's like definition in the name and it's rare that we can step back on any type of issue and give it a much like more long-term view. So while it's looking to the future, it's also a way of talking about the past in a scope that we normally can't or no normally don't do. The setting of State of the Black shit is the part that always makes me laugh the hardest. <laughs> I'm speaking to you from the capital of Black America, the corner booth of a Waffle House in Birmingham, Alabama, a Popeyes in St. Louis owned by Cedric the Entertainer. The backyard where Meghan Markle spilled the tea to Oprah. I'm speaking to you tonight from Harlem in New York City. 
And not the gentrified part with the white people and took it over with muffin shops. I'm in a church basement at 453rd Street where it's blacker than a Wu-Tang family reunion. That's one of the things that you two as writers that you all cook up that I have no input. Like, I'm legit, I legitimately enjoy being surprised. Like, if it wasn't in the script at rehearsal, I would love, like, there's days where you can do stuff on green screen and I don't even want to know what's behind me. Because I want that to kind of play somehow into my performance. Mm-hmm. X, what goes into choosing the particular locations? I can only speak for the year that I was there, but I think, I mean, the year before y'all was at the Waffle House, so come on. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Yes, the we love to eat. And so <laughs> when I was thinking about it, it was just like, what is the most niggerish place that I could put Roy? Like I have to, like I was just like, what, well, where, where, where can I put him? That's so stupid, and it just like, soon as you see him there, you're gonna get an immediate laugh. That's what I want. I want to laugh immediately. I don't want any anybody in the audience to have to work for it. I want soon as they see that backdrop, they just laugh immediately. It's like, why the fuck is mm. he here at a papa? Like I just, so that was that was for that one. So Randall, are you the one that put me in the garden with yeah, Oprah yeah, yeah. for the Megan and Oprah interview? To, is that you to this us year? As individuals, so much because Randall is from the burbs, and he's like, "Let's put him." Let's put him in a nice garden <laughs> in a gazebo. I was, like, I was like, "No, this nigga is in line at Popeyes for me." <laughs> well, originally I wanted you, you know, to be in the. Uh, locked hair care product section of Walgreens, but I didn't know they, they got rid of that uh, rule like That's last year. That's funny. I was like, uh, I love the progress, but you ruined my joke. You know Popeye saw that, right? It's, no. You get free you get free spicy you know chicken sandwiches? No, close. I had like a shirt or something. Like They were kind, but this was at peak chicken sandwich, like the way trying to find a PlayStation 5 right. right now. Like This was peak chicken sandwich. They was not coming up off them chicken sandwiches for the free you'd be surprised how many brands watch the show and you mention them casually like i remember one year it wasn't a state of black shit at some point during the desk chat with trevor i pulled out a bottle of hennessy i was like a southern aristocrat i do declare i'll say i foghorn leghorn Mm -hmm. and then i just pulled out some hennessy and then like two weeks later in the office motherfucking bottle of hennessy we mentioned um, Jack Daniels one mm-hmm. time in a um, CP time. We were talking about Nearest Green and the distilling process for whiskey being created by this black man. And Jack Daniels was like, some whiskey. Yo, you need to put a PlayStation on because I can't find a PS5. <laughs> we, need to, we need to do some the type of plot. only reason I've mentioned these last four things, Randall, is so that we can get a PlayStation, some Hennessy, <laughs> some Jack Daniels, and a Popeye sandwich. <laughs> Did you really thought I was going somewhere with that? No, man. I was trying to get some free shit. What when when it comes to balancing? Because when we talk about state of black shit, and you know, if we look at the one that we just did for twenty twenty one, right? On the one hand, we go, "Hey, Derek Chauvin found guilty," and then less than a paragraph later, "Hey, we love Beyonce." How do you all balance the pain with the positivity? Like, what's the most complex aspect of, like, trying to compose this segment? Because you want it to be funny, but you also want it to be poignant. So too much of one denigrates the other. 
it is difficult and it's it's a difficult it's a difficulty more in communication of an idea rather than like creation because i don't know for me i feel like for most black people you know the pain of you know just being a black person next to the positive experiences you know that's just something you live with every day and so it's kind of like natural to you and so i'm not as worried as doing those with doing those jumps uh for like black people as much because i'm like you get it that's like part of like how we live but maybe like for other groups who don't understand things you're like oh this is like the worst thing ever and you're like how and you're like you get more trapped in that mindset so it's kind of like yeah it's communicating that is the hardest part and i it, it just comes down to me uh more with just like comedic techniques you know misdirects are always good to transition from topic to topic you know like we did that with Kamala, where, you know, you think we're about to start talking about, you know, I think I think the line was like, oh, no, like a historic first by a black person mm -hmm. this year. An amazing thing. Uh, the first black bachelors like, OK, yeah. cool. For the first time in our history, we witnessed a black person assume one of the most important positions in America. Of course, I'm talking about the first black bachelor. When you can like throw people and like confuse them for a second, in that confusion is like easier to transition their emotional state, I feel. How much digging X are you doing? Because you, we're basically encompassing the year that was in pain and pride in four minutes. Right. How do you go and find those stories? I think because I'm always looking at what the fuck we're doing, what's going on in our community because it directly affects me and us. Um, so I think like there was a few things I had to look up. Um, I am always on the route. Um, gotta go shout out Bossip. <laughs> I am, I am always on there. And then like, because I have so many black ass chat rooms, I don't go, I don't roam in the, um, hellish fires of Twitter, but I have friends who do and they always send me shit. But like, there's a few things I had to look up and I found like um, the the black dude who paid off like all of the loans, the, the billionaire, I think it is, for everybody at yeah, Morehouse. Morehouse. And then- Robert Smith, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And then like the, the Hennessy was given uh, scholarship money to HBCU. So that was like two things I had to <laughs> look up for my jokes. I just, I'm always abreast to, to what is going on and like so many things that were like iconic that I know that like, I try to balance it, Roy, to where it's a big thing like Beyonce homecoming, which I know every single white person knows. And then you get into like the crux of it. Like when we had that like yin yang twins joke, like I, I give a little for them and a little for me. Like, you know, I. So I, then I that Dutch. right there, then it seems like at least you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like for you is also about proving that black people aren't monolithic in the sense Period. that we are. It is highbrow educational and it also sometimes is a little ratchet. Sometimes we're going to talk about Bridgerton and the pullout king <laughs> and then we're going to shift and talk about police reform. Right. And also, I feel like this too, Roy, like the state of black shit every year we're going to talk about racism. Every year we're going to talk about some racist shit. That's just what's going to be there. Like, that's just what the fuck it is. Like, like white people, it took them 400 years to learn how to say racism. It's going to take them 400 more for this shit to end. So I'm just like, I, I already know we're going to do the hard shit, and I can do that, but I'm just, it's I, I take more time with the fun stuff 
uh, like to make those jokes and everything like that. Cause the hard shit, it's it's gonna be there. It's gonna be fun. And like Randall said, like I'm gonna have to do a quick smooth misdirect. Cause there's a lot of jokes, Roy, that I wanted to do that were like, as we say, like were blue as fuck. But I, they were really hard for me. And I and I feel like if it was all black people in the audience, it would kill. But I think those are the jokes that really make white people go like, ooh, should I be laughing at that or make them feel uncomfortable? This is beyond the scenes. Let's. Let's take a little breather so I can get out this hot ass jacket. <laughs> In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. We've already talked a little bit about writing a segment that properly balances the pain of being black and honoring that while also offering something that's uplifting um, to black people. So with that in mind, Randall, how cognizant are you of what will black people think about this joke? I mean, you try to balance as much as you can, but I... This is honestly something that I learned from you before I was even at The Daily Show at all, because I remember I listened to you on a podcast and it struck a chord, which is like, anytime you're writing a joke about a community, you have to try to imagine, like, will this community find that funny, even if it's your own? So, you know, I try to, like, have that in my mind first and foremost before, um, you know, trying to make it intelligible or palpable, palatable for white people or Asian people, whatever it is, like, black community comes first and it helps you know because we got a lot of black people on the show so if there's ever a joke that i'm like i like but i'm feeling like iffy about you know i can run it by josh i can run it by x i could run it by you you know so and since you're the one who's eventually going to be performing this i'm like okay i have that second layer of somebody to check me if they're like hey randall this is some bullshit i'm like well thank god (laughs) i'm not the only black dude here or else right. that would have just gone out. So mm-hmm. it's good Yo. to have those safeguards. Yo. And so, and I also like, I try to think about it from the jump. As a writer, you all have to write with the performer in mm-hmm. mind. 
And so you have to know their cadence. You have to know their style. Is there anything different with state of black shit? And I'm not coming at y'all like I'm some sort of amazing actor or whatever the hell. But I do know that performatively, I'm trying to do something a little more preachery. Where did that come in from? In the state of black shit. Where did this character come because from? Because I'm black and from the South, oh. and I just saw a bunch of pastors. And like, like it, oh, oh, you asking where did this character come from? Yeah, yeah. There was a gentleman, rest in peace, uh, the Honorable Larry Langford, who used to be the mayor of Birmingham, Alabama. And I've known him since he was a mayor of one of the black suburbs. We used to go to the same. Him and my daddy were running partners. And so Mayor Langford could uh, talk like this a little slow. And then for no reason, he'd get up here and tell y'all what is going on now. We got to get it together. We keep talking this rhetoric over and over again. We spent $80,000 for a ridiculous documentary that absolutely produced nothing tangible for anybody in this city. We should have taken that $80,000 and bought some little rowboats and put them at your house so when that half of inch of rain falls, you could just boat your way on out the front door. We got to get it together, black people. Now, see, we got to bring it back down for mm-hmm. a second and really focus on the problem. The problem is that the black man on Bridgerton keep pulling out. And that's why we got to focus on the police brutality. And like he had this way of letting his voice dictate what you should feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, so I don't know. I've tried to play with it. I'm not Larry Langford. I never will be. But his orating skills were something that always stuck with me. He's kind of, he's halfway to Leo Deblin mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a way. But Leo Deblin is just going to talk all the way through mm-hmm. and just never run and never go up and down. And it's just going to be one long continuous thing. But Larry Langford is going to come up here mm-hmm. and then I'm going to come down here. And then we got to get it together. And thank you. And black, black and blast. And I don't think that that's spoken yes. about enough. We have to say that the timing and performance kills or, or like the joke will live or die. Like I like Roy, no matter what the fuck I write, when your ass gets up there and you do it, that's how the joke heals. Even just a quick pause and hit to the punchline can take my joke to the next level. So shout outs to you because yes, we write it, but it kills because of your performance. Well, you know what? Thank you. Thank you, Dagnabbit. I appreciate that. Also, um, a little little trivia fact about State of the Black shit. That black blackiness. Um, on the seal, mm-hmm. that was a last-minute ad the first time. I, so Ronnie Chang, fellow Daily Show correspondent. Ronnie. Uh, Ronnie and I share an office, and we say a lot of weird shit to each other in confidentiality. Mm-hmm. You know, we're comedians, and most jokes start in a terrible, indecent place. And it ends in something appropriate that you actually will stand on and believe in. And so when I went to rehearsal for that first state of the black shit, they had the black fist on the podium to look like, you know, like an, a parody of the the seal, the eagle seal or whatever. Right. And I go, well, you can't have a seal without them words around the 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 outer ring, you know, like e pluribus unum or whatever you put around the seal. I go, well, if it's black people and this is for black people, what would the official black seal say? 
and fucking Ronnie Chain just mumbles. It's just under his breath. Black, blackity, blackness. <laughs> yes, Ronnie. And I was like, yeah, that's right, Ronnie. That is exactly what it was like, saying. Huh, really? Oh, uh, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> all right, after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about how you all feel about the state of black shit in real life uh, with regards Ooh, to everything that's been going we got? on in the country. I, not, not much longer. Okay. Not much longer. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Start, start writing down your notes. I we're will. Gonna I'm, I'm gonna, yes. <laughs> in the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Which brings me to the future of black shit and what's in store for us this year. While the rest of America gets back to normal, this is the year black America created a new normal. Because that old normal was some bullshit. I'm talking about a new normal where cops being held accountable isn't as rare as getting another Frank Ocean album. A new normal where I march not because I need to fight for my rights, but because I need to get my steps in due to a predisposition to high cholesterol. A new normal where we can gather indoors with family and loved ones, but still tell our weird uncle that he has to hang in the garage just to be safe. A new normal where Gorilla Glue is hair gel. That's the new normal we must strive for, and that I'm confident we will achieve. God bless you, God bless black people, and God bless the meme of Michael Jordan looking at an iPad. I say good evening. Where do you all see the state of black shit for this year? Like, we've had some victories, okay? Mm -hmm. Like, there's been some arrests of officers. There's been some convictions. There's been some sentencing. Probably not as many years as I felt like some of them should have got, but it is what it is, better than five, ten years ago. But then we also got a new DJ Khaled album. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So X, I'll start with you. Ultimately, how do you feel about, you know, the state of things for black people right now? I feel like we are where we usually are tired and resilient. That's deep. I just really feel like that's what we are. Like I've like we continue to soar, to progress, to uh, to make money. I mean, black women are in the top percentile when it comes to entrepreneurs and making money like we are doing a damn thing. And I think like if we allow ourselves to um, operate in a state of fear and terror and not go outside and go for walks and go jogging or drive, which are basically just fucking live because we've been killed for every fucking thing. Um, I, as one person, cannot change a entire system of white supremacy. So I'm going to continue to do my job as a black woman and to walk in my authority and in the steps that God has ordered for me. And I hope that everyone else does that. But I just think that, like, we maybe be a little extra tired because uh, with social media and the fact that we have to stay home and we're in a pantomime uh, that um, we've been um, like, we've we've had questions from white people and all of the white tears come directly at us so much because they're just finding out. So that's why I feel we're like a little extra tired because it's just like, we don't we don't even want to answer those questions, but some of us have the capacity and have done that. So I think that's what makes it a little more exhausting. Um, but yeah, I think that the state of black shit, we are tired and still resilient. Randall, is it is it natural or unnatural for us as a race to oscillate between tired and resilient? I mean, definitely. Just because, you know, tired just because of the obvious, you know, criminal justice system, <laughs> the long history of slavery, being denied land, being denied loans, you know, everything just in general. But resilience, of course, partially because there's no other option. It's either be resilient or give up and giving up's not an option. So that makes sense. That's, that's pretty much the perpetual state of the black community. I would say how I project how, what I think about the future. It's difficult always to look towards the future, you know, because like when you write the state of black shit, you know, you check out years past and I watched the 2021 and it said, you know, the future's looking bright and 2021 said, no, it's not. <laughs> the rest of the year said, no, things were not actually bright. So, you know, it's hard to make predictions, but you always have an eye looking, looking at hope, looking towards hope. And I'm going to choose to be hopeful, you know, because Amen. there's we saw the largest protest in American history, literally in 2020. We saw, um, you know, a police officer actually get convicted for a crime that we all saw, which happens so many times that you feel like it's going to be impossible. So it feels like the seal may have broken just just a little bit. And so I, I'm hoping that this isn't just, you know, criminal justice system or the country in general, like throwing black people a bone, like here you get one and now we're going to forget it. I'm hoping, you know, when I see on a, like a more local level with states or towns that actually seem to be taking the defund the police uh, idea more seriously and like reinvesting it into preventative measures of crime and things like that, that gives me hope. So even if it's not immediate, even if it's not federal and national it seems like 
activists, it seems like people on the ground are very energized, mobilized, and their efforts are being heard and enacted. So that gives me hope. But we might have another pandemic, so who knows? Dude, like, that's where my head always is. It's always this state of waiting for the other shoe to fall. It's like, you don't know how the clapback is going to be. All right, Biden got elected. Yay. Oh, by the way, they've enacted 34 states with election voter laws that will yeah. guarantee that half the ways that you voted the last election could never happen again. Oh, Derek Chauvin convicted. Yay. Yeah, we're going to take menthol cigarettes away from you, motherfuckers. Now you can't even smoke away your stress. All right, then. Enjoy life. So it's like there's always this. Because even with Chauvin, I found it hard to, like, celebrate. Because I was like, all right, we got a conviction. And all it took was a, all it took was an uprising. All it took to get him convicted was an uprising, a video, and his own police chief testifying against it. And an international protest, Roy. An international protest. Like, niggas was in Belgium. Like, Black Lives Matter. Like, motherfuckers was in Bosnia. People in Bosnia was like, who are black people? I've never seen... (laughs) What is that? (laughs) Everybody. Because sometimes, you know, it feels like that. Because that's the cynical part of me. It's like, you know, the the system at large is like, look, we... Chauvin, we like you, man, but... We got to sacrifice you. Look, we we all know it's some bullshit, but you got to take the fall. So I'm like nervous, like he's going to be the fall guy for the rest of the system. The next five get away. Exactly. It's like, okay, you got one big televised moment, but everything else, we're just going to wait. Y'all forget. And now we can go back to normal. And so that's the part that is always in the back of my mind or in the front of my mind even. So off that point from Randall X, how do you see this segment evolving moving forward? It, like how much is this what we just got to keep doing? Or does the segment ever become just bright skies and good news? I am uh, an incurable optimist, but I'm also a realist. And so I I think that it would, I mean, so much of our laughter comes, I mean, comes from pain. I mean, even like the the iterations of the pandemic that black people have come up with just to like what we have to laugh, like we have to do that. So I think that when we look forward to the future with the state of black shit, I think it I would love to see it progress to that. Um, there's not just you talking like I would love to see Dulce like I would love to see like especially from like a black woman's perspective, like what the fuck we've been doing and what's been going on specifically towards us. Cause it is very hard for us, you know? Um, uh, so I, I think, I think that it, it would be dishonest Roy if shit was going down and all, all we talked about was sunny skies. It was just like, wait, is, is this nigga tapped in? Did he not see what the fuck happened? And I think we have to talk about it because we are talking about it. I think it, it would just be like Roy's playing himself. And I don't think any of us as writers, we would never let you go out there and look crazy. Well, I can't thank you all enough. And I will say this much if I haven't learned anything else uh, from this conversation. The state of the black shit is written by the people who write the state of the black shit is in good hands. <laughs> and we will now have a good 
state of the black shit, not only in 2021, but also in 2022. I bet you good day. Listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to go even further beyond the scenes? Check out the video version of Beyond the Scenes on The Daily Show's YouTube page. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.